guys are insane. You just, it's like punching above your weight. I just want to say that again. It's just so good, man, I tell you. Uh, did you get, you know, when they play, there's just something, you know, of the, you know, I, I love that bit in uh, Second Kings where it says, you know, you know, he, he called for a musician, not a magician. He called for a musician. And when the magician, when the musician played, <laughs> let's get it right in. When the musician played, the hand of the Lord came upon him. You know, often we think music in church is just like lift music. It's just like it's just there because, you know, we need to create an emotional environment or something like that. And, and you know, I've just been warring against that for years uh, because people think it's the filler in some way. But actually when the music plays, the hand of the Lord comes upon us. And, uh, you know, and just in revivals and stuff like that, there was some, there's been amazing things actually happen um, just with music um, alone. Um, uh, yeah, just, just music and revival just go together. There's always a sound when, like when revivals come and, uh, uh, you know, you get all of those kind of crazy things. I'm just trying to think of a million things. I remember when I was in um, uh, Pensacola, and um, I met with the music team over there, and I uh, had the privilege of just actually staying with the with the missionary that uh, bought the GI tent, the General Infantry tent for Yonggi Cho uh, in the 1950s, and uh, and uh, well went from Liberia, which was having a revival, and so so successful was the was the revival in Liberia in Africa uh, that um, that the president of Liberia gave John and Maxine Hurston the keys to the nation. And I've seen the document, it's on, the, on their wall. And uh, so every stadium, every radio station, there wasn't television around in those days, um, in, in that extent. And, um, and every stadium, every public place, every hall, municipal hall in all of Liberia was open to the gospel, uh, simply because of these uh, very faithful missionaries. In the midst of that, they were asked to go to Korea, where uh, in, uh, the people were so poor, they were eating the leaves off trees. And there was less than half of 1% Christian in the country. In the midst of that, they began uh, a ministry, and uh, and John and Maxine eventually needed an interpreter, and they found this young Buddhist guy that had just been converted, and his name is Yonggi Cho, and uh, and so uh, or Paul Yonggi Cho, David Yonggi Cho, he was I think in the, no Paul Yonggi Cho in those days, then David, and uh, and so they stayed with him for their entire rest of their tenure there in Korea, and uh, became part of his staff, and uh, then they got fired by their organisation by their denomination because they put Yong Yi Cho in charge of the church and um, you know and so there's colonialism right there in a funny way because the white person wasn't doing the mission anymore so uh, instead of, so he empowered someone locally called Yong Yi Cho it's just funny when you think about it now and then he drew, grew the church to I don't know 400,000 people or something or other and they decided to reinstate John thought it was a good idea after all and that was a good thing, you know what I'm saying. And so when he retired, he went to um, he went to uh, a little place in 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 in, uh, in uh, uh, the states in Florida uh, called Pensacola. Brownsville, in particular, was a suburb, and uh, went to his home church where his wife was sent out from many many years before. And uh, and then they said, um, you know, he said, look, what can I do? I'm just a retired missionary. And uh, John Kilpatrick, who was the pastor of the church, says, I've been praying for revival. Would you stay on the campus? We've got a spare house. And while yours is being prepared, uh, and that, why don't you stay here and pray? So John and Maxine just stayed, and their daughter Karen, and they just began to, you know, pray into revival and all of those kind of things. And, um, and, uh, and then one morning, John says that he was down early praying. He was in his sweat tra- track pants, and, and sweat. he'd go down to the church early because he felt drawn, quickening again, goes down and uh, punched in the 
in the in the code to get in and and he said there was the morning I stood there and he said it was like the doors opened at the back and the doors opened at the side in the auditorium and it was like this invisible river began to flow at four or five in the morning and he said I could feel it tugging at my trousers that's it was so physically manifest and so he, he said I he said I thought to myself if I knelt down I wonder if the river would come up if and so he did and then he couldn't get up, so he lay down, and the river just was kept flowing over him. This invisible river, um, but but very palpable to him. And uh, and then eventually he began to climb up the stairs out of the river, uh, and he crawled over to the phone, rang his wife, and says, "You've got to come down here." And uh, it was only a couple of weekends later that they they asked Steve Hill to come, and on Father's Day began preaching. And Steve Hill said, "I I, I preached, and it was a great, it was amazing. People ran to." the altar and all of that kind of stuff and uh, and uh, then they, he preached at night and it was so successful they said would you stay for another night and uh, so he stayed for another night and then they said look it's this, this we just feel there's something happening why don't you stay for another night and he said I was really nervous then because I only had five messages and um, and uh, and because he was a traveling evangelist so he just he would trot out the messages you see and he suddenly realized he had to go and interface with God again and uh, that's, he's going, I need some more messages. If this is going to happen, I'm getting nervous, rang his wife. And uh, eventually at the end of the week when he was starting to get things and people were coming and, uh, and, uh, and it was astonishing. And so he never left for five years. <laughs> his, he said to his wife, eventually, just sell the house, bring the kids, um, and, and we're moving here now. And, and he never actually left. She did all of that, and, she, um, and, and, and they, they eventually just moved there. And uh, there was an amazing uh, move of God in there. And I remember I was there a couple of times, and I stayed with John and Maxine Hurston because uh, Dale and I are friends of their daughter. And, uh, and so staying in their home was just a treat, I can tell you. And, um, and tonight, you know, as you guys prayed for mums, and, uh, and that I was just so encouraged by that because at that time I sat down in John and, and, and Maxine's lounge and they said, what can we do for you? And we, because they wanted to have communion with us. And so they got bread and wine and we sat in their lounge and we were just about to go back to New Zealand and, uh, and we broke bread together and, uh, and, and we talked and John held my hands and said, how can I pray for you? And, uh, and you know, when someone like that begins to ask, you know, what can I pray for you? You know, he means business. You know, so so I just I, I I forgot everything at that point. You know, when you it's like when the teacher puts you on the spot and you can't remember anything. You know, like and it's always going. I don't know what I want. I just like, mm. um, it's just like uh, oh. And then I thought of something spiritual, and, and so like oh, I just want an open heaven. And he looked at me and said, Ian, really, <laughs> <laughs> you've got that. I don't want to pray for something you've got. I've got that. He said, you got that when you got saved. That's like. You know, remember Jesus? He just like, you know, he, he, he opened the heavens for you. You know, he went down into the Jordan River and the heavens opened. He said, there's nowhere in Scripture that I can find, unless you can find. He said, the, the heavens ever closed again. And so when you step into, you know, a relationship with Jesus, you live under an open heaven. That was a huge revelation for me. And he was saying, okay, give me something else. And because you've already got that. And the problem is with us sometimes, you know, we, we've got things that we just don't access because, you know, we think, we, we actually believe the devil more than we believe, you know, what the Lord's telling us sometimes. You know, I do a poll, you know, straw poll sometimes, you know, and people, who feels guilty here on a sort of a regular basis, you know, just like that, you know, just feel a little bit of guilt. And I have people put their hands up. So, so, so who feels holy on a regular basis? Anybody goes, 
like, you know, so I say the devil's done a better job of making you feel, you know, guilty than the Holy Spirit has done in making you feel holy. You know, what kind of world are we living in? And so here's this, you know, kind of tremendous thing. So he goes, next, please, next, please. So I go, look, I just want to pray. We had we had real trouble with one of our sons. And I said, would you would you pray, um, you know, for Simon, Simon? And uh, and so they they began to pray for him and pray for us and pray for our ministry and all of those kind of things. And it was a it was an interesting time. But as I stood, you know, here, and and Pastor just said, you know, you know, just pray for lost kids and maybe for disconnected family members. I want to tell you a little story, and I may not get to some other things, but if I tell you this, it'll encourage you. Because we had a son. We have a son. We have three sons, great kids. But our, our, our son, Simon, who these guys know really, really well. In fact, you, Jared was going to be his best man when he got married, eh? And then you got pregnant and had babies and stuff, and it just the same day. Yeah, I don't know what that is. I mean, surely. And uh, anyway, there was... <laughs> and, uh, and so... But when Simon was 15, he came home from school, and I was sitting in the office at home, just a weird little office, and he comes in and rubs my shoulders, hey, Dad, how you doing, blah, 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 and uh, goes into his room. And then about three minutes later, I heard something. It was like crash or something like that. And, I thought, and I, then I just looked out the window, and I see him running down the drive, and he's like screwed up face, and he's obviously distressed and crying and all of that. And, um, and, and I shot out the door and heard Simon, Simon, and he waved me off with aggression. And um, and, uh, and I thought, wow, what's happened? I'm going inside trying to figure out what's going on. And uh, he had just learnt that his best friend had committed suicide, shot himself. And um, and so uh, it was part of a bullying thing that, that went on. And um, and Bill English, who, who you know is an MP and um, who I said that I, that was his nephew. That was really written up. I'm not telling anything that's not in public record. So um, Reader's Digest, uh, North and South magazine wrote up this particular case because it was just a it was a it was a vicious case of school bullying. And this boy in the end, who was a great friend of Simon's, best friend of Simon's, went home at lunchtime and shot himself. And um, that turned his world upside down, turned our world upside down as well, because he began to blame God. And when you blame God for something, you begin to blame his people as well. And if your parents happen to be pastors, then they're great targets. And so uh, he, he changed really in, in a period of days and became incredibly dark. And for two years, two and a half years, we saw our son uh, just go from a bright young man uh, to really this, this, this terrible, um, introverted, uh, angry young man who lived in our home. And uh, but was monosyllabic. No, most boys are monosyllabic. You know, how's your day today? And, uh, and uh, you know, you get that kind of thing. Okay, did you meet anybody? Uh, and uh, you know, so that's the kind of language. But Simon had aggression with that. And he, he, I looked at him, and and you could see black just underneath his eyes. He just began to physically begin to change. Um, and so we battled through with that. And as parents, sometimes some of you know that. As pastors, it's difficult because you tend to live your life in a goldfish bowl. Everybody has an opinion about your life, whether they tell you or not. Isn't you know, it's not important, but it's there, and you feel the pressure of all of that. Uh, and so the kids feel pressure for all of that. That's why you need to pray for your pastors and pray for their kids and cover them all the time. And I, I think I'm preaching to the choir here, but you know, yeah, that, that's something we can do as a community of faith uh, to be able to really 
really look after these guys as well. And, uh, and that's really cool. And if you're a PK, a preacher's kid, you'll understand exactly what I'm saying because there are pressures that no one else gets. I don't know why it is, but there it is. And the, and the enemy just begins to just, you know, uh, extrapolate that out a bit more. So today there's guilt and all kinds of things with that. However, um, with Simon, we, we, were, we, we tried every trick in the book. You know, you'd read Dutch Sheets' book on intercession, and, and he said in there, he said, oh, they anointed someone's shoes with oil. And so Dale, my wife, went in, and she got his shoes and anointed them with oil and lay on them and prayed for them and held them up to the Lord. And then we discovered they weren't even his shoes. They were his friend's your shoes. You know, so, you know, he's like his friend got blessed, and um, we'd lay on his bed and, you know, kind of do the, do the Elijah thing and, you know, like breathing life into this lifeless kid again and calling into being those things that are not as though they are. We would swap out all his music when he was at school and begin to put on our music. Well, you know, God's music, put on some Hillsong or put on some something, you know, just anything to fill that thing because that was his cave. And whilst we didn't want to violate those surroundings at all, it was, um, it was, it was, it was pretty crazy. Um, but then there was a night that, that came when he came in with a friend. And, and you've got to know, there was just, it, it was awkward. You know, we didn't want to throw him out. He wasn't, you know, we wanted to, to make sure he was safe uh, and all of those things. He's our son. We loved him, but he hated us. He didn't even want me to go to court with him when all of this went to court. And so I'm internally grateful for our oldest son, Andrew, who really became a bit of a pseudo dad for him at that stage and, and you know, kind of helped him and went to court with him. And he was a witness, a prime witness in this case and, uh, and so forth. So uh, there we go. And, um, but there was a night that he came home. Uh, with his friend, whose name is Dale as well. So, um, and uh, he was a great kid. We've known him for years. But they brought another kid in as well. And I didn't know this guy at all. But um, anyway, the moment he came in the door, you know, everything went clunk inside me. I went, who is this guy? What's he carrying? You know, you know there's a discernment that just happens. You know what you know when you meet someone. You know, you meet someone and you go, oh, um, Wow. You're awesome. How are you? <laughs> and you're lying through your teeth because you go, there's something dodgy here. And that's exactly what happened to me. And so uh, I'm greeting them as you normally do because I'm not going to go, oh, you know, like witch, burn the witch. I'm not doing any of that stuff. Um, and so, uh, you know, I'm just going to greeting them and say welcome and, and all of that kind of stuff. And they were in and out very, very quickly and all of that. I mean, it was crazy because, you know, he was drinking and he was drugging and you know, I went in one afternoon, he's had a girl in bed with him, you know, in his bedroom. Like, what the heck? You know, like all that stuff. And we were dealing with that as a pastor. I remember dressing him one night, or undressing him one night, putting him to bed about four or five o'clock on a Sunday morning. And, you know, just feeling so hollowed out by that. You know, he was completely stoned and out of it and um, being sick and all of that kind of stuff. And, and then I get up, you know, a few hours later and go and preach revival with my happy face on. And so there's a tearing that begins to happen in your, in your whole psyche, you know. And, um, and so you battle through that and you're crying out and all of that. So anyway, that's, that's, the, that's the context and background. Anyway, the kids come and they go again and, and all of that. That night, I, um, I couldn't sleep. And, um, you know, I'm like a rotisserie chicken when I worry about something. You know, I'm just like turning in bed and, you know, and I thought rather than getting kicked out of bed, I'll just, you know, volunteer myself into the guest room. And, uh, and so if you've been married long enough, you'll understand that. And so, uh, and so that's uh, what I did. I went into the guest room and, uh, and I lay down in there and, um, and, and still wrestled and all of that and eventually fell asleep. But then suddenly I woke up and there was a demon sitting on my chest with its bony little hands like Gollum around my neck. And I, I couldn't breathe. 
And I knew immediately what it was. It happened to me once before when I stayed in a motel in Wellington, and uh, we were at a wedding thing. And uh, and uh, I remember going, you know, I need, I know how to deal with this. And, and what all you need to do is say the name of Jesus, one of the most powerful names in all the world. And so, you know, like I say the name of Jesus, but it's like Jesus. <laughs> it's like it's, it's, you know, you can't, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. So I've got the. Thing and you feel like you're having a full blown asthma attack, and, and so you got you got these hands. And I can feel this. I can literally feel these little bony claw things around my neck, and I'm going Jesus. And then I get I get it out a bit more. You know, it's Jesus, and you can feel them loosening a little bit, and then you get emboldened. You know, and you go Jesus. It's just it's literally like that. You know, and you're sweating, and you and it's really it's a battle, and you go Jesus. You know, and the thing like bam, it's gone. You know, and then you sit up, and usually it's. You're sitting in bed, you know, like what the heck, and uh, and and all of that stuff begins to happen, and, and <coughs> excuse me, imitating asthma attacks are no good, and um and so um I'm sitting up in bed now, and uh, when I sort of calm myself, the first question I say to myself is, how did this thing get in here? And immediately I go back to the night before, and I can I, I know that kind of clunk reaction um, when Simon brought his friends in. And so I thought, well, someone bought something in, and um, so I did that. So anyway, uh, end of night, probably about three nights after that, I'm standing in the lounge. It's a pretty cold night in Invercargill, and um, we'll call it winter. And um, and uh, so we, I'm sitting in the lounge. We've got a log fire. I'm sort of standing up against the log fire, and you know, it's it's nice and warm, and and all of that. And uh, and Simon comes into the lounge. Now you got to understand his usual routine was to come in through the door and basically head for his bedroom, close the door, usually bang the door, and uh, just you know, like I'm home, and that was a signal. And um, and so uh, and everybody would be walking on eggshells just to see what kind of mood or how bad the mood was, and 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 all of that. But this night he comes into the lounge. He stands there at the doorway and he goes, "Hi, Dad. How you are?" Like it was English. And, and I could understand and, and all of that. And I went, hey, Simon, what's happening, man? And he goes, oh, not a lot. You know, like, and suddenly I realized we're actually having a conversation. I mean, we're not using a lot of words, but that's normal with boys. And so it's just like we're having a conversation. And uh, then I, you know, explored a bit more. How's your day been? And he goes, no, oh, it's, you know, ordinary, blah, 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 you know, just talking. But, but he's talking. So I go, I've got to keep talking. This is like pure gold. And uh, so, um, so we just chat about stuff, you know, and family and what's happening at school and just that kind of light stuff, just about how's the weather, you know, all of that. And, um, and then there's that place in a conversation where you run out of words and you look at each other and it's like, okay. And what that is, is an invitation to go to another level of relationship. Uh, and generally, if we're you're not in that relationship, we stop at that point and then talk about the weather and see you later. But you know, we're father and son, and so we've got lots of history, and there's lots of family stuff, and lo- all of that kind of thing, which is all good. So we go, okay, uh, let's let's push through this a little bit more. And so I stand there, and and um, and then I thought, I know, right? I'll ask him about his friend that came. I said, so it was good to see Dale the other night, and he goes, yeah, yeah, it was. And I said, is he doing well? Yeah, no, he's he's good. You know, his mum and dad are breaking up, and and but anyway, he's good, and uh, all that kind of stuff. Oh, that's good. And I said, tell me about your friend. And as soon as I said it, I thought, oh, I think I just stepped on a slippery bridge. And, um, and so uh, I said, hey, tell me about your other friend. And he goes, why do you want to know? And it was kind of like ice right there. I went, oh, I don't know, I'm just curious. And he goes, no, you're not. Why do you want to know? I thought, okay. 
so you kind of feel suspended at that point, you know, like, and so, and so I thought, well, the other night when he came in, it's kind of like went clunk inside me, and, and I just thought, you know, you know me, I just like, uh, and I was starting to babble a little bit, you know, like, uh, I just, you know, the, the bell rang or something rather, there was, I had a bad feeling, and, and, all that, and he goes, mm-hmm. And then I couldn't sleep, and so I went into the spare room, and you know the rotisserie chicken, and then the whole thing, and then and then like there was a demon sitting on my chest with bony fingers, and I cried out, Jesus. And he's looking at me along when he goes, "Yeah, that would be my friend, all right." And then he said this: "When it left your room, it came into my room, and it pulled me out of my bed by my ankles." And we sat looking at each other, the demon in my room and me. I'm looking at him going, what the heck? And, uh, and so he, I said, so what did you do? And he said, well, I did the things that you and mum would do. And so I rebuked it in Jesus' name. Now, you've got to know, this is two and a half years of, like, non-compass mentis, and we're suddenly, I'm rebuking this thing in Jesus' name, and my, my immediate thought, this is how ignorant and legal I was, well, that won't work, he's so far away from God. It's like, you're a little twerp, you need to come back to Jesus and grovel a little bit and cry, and, you know, you just need to show some respect and all that kind of thing. All of that happens in a nanosecond, you know, and uh, that's not going to work. And, and, and I said, well, so what happened? You know, he goes, well, it just left through the window, you know, like through the wall. And, and, and I was like shocked. I remember being shocked. I, I remember going, well, this is not the plan. He needs to grovel more than this. Yeah. And, and so the, that, that whole deal happened. And he, I said, what'd you do? And he goes, well, I, I, I climbed up and I looked out the window and, and it was staring back at me through the thing. And he described it. Uh, utterly. In fact, have you ever seen Lord of the Rings um, in the um, when they go through the mountain in the in the first movie, uh, and there's those cave orcs that come down. They call down off the ceiling with the big eyes. Okay, he described that. He hadn't seen the movie. It hadn't come out at that point. But as soon as we saw the movie, we went, "Oh, that's what we're talking about." There is interesting. You don't just dream up things in the creative industry. They're always there. I remember as a kid seeing demons. It was one of the terrible things that I saw and they were like owls crossed with monkeys with these big eyes and he saw that or something similar to it and so uh, I, I, he said when I saw it it fell back and I fell back into the room and I said what did you do and he said I just got right with God and I'm like we're I'm starting to cry now you know like and he's starting to cry which is like weird and um and and, and then I said well what happened he said well I went back to bed and and then God God took me to heaven and uh, I went, what? No groveling? No, like, no, like, it's not fair. It's like, it's, and I'm listening to him going, yeah, God told me, I said, what did you, what did, did you see? He said, oh, yeah, I met Jesus. Like, you met Jesus. Well, bully for you. It's like, it's like meeting Jesus. That's what, did he say anything? Yeah, yeah, he did. What, what did he say? And, uh, and he said, Simon. And he said, they were the kindest words I've ever heard. He said, Simon, you can't come in here. And I went, well, that's, no, that's not kind. That's not, he said, no, they were, because he said, Dad, you've got to understand. I looked at myself, it was like I was wearing overalls, and they were just kind of crap all over them. So I, I didn't fit. 
and I knew I didn't fit. And he said, the next moment I'm in hell. And I went, like, really? And he goes, yeah, it's the whole horizon. I remember he said this. He said, the whole horizon was like the tip of a burning cigarette. It was just basically, it wasn't flames so much as it was just dark. It was moody. It was, there was this stuff going past me, like accusation. And, 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 and I, it was like people were picking on me, and, and I didn't know where they were. It was just <laughs> past me all the time. But this horizon, just right around, he said it was just like the tip of a burning cigarette. It was, an, it, was, it, was an, you know, it was horrible. And he said, and then I said, what happened? He said, I was only there for a moment. I was out again. I was in bed. So what would you do? He said, I got right with God again. I went, yeah, straight. That's exactly what I'd be doing too. Flipping heck. And, uh, and, uh, and then he said, I went back to sleep, and then God gave me a dream. I'm going, this is completely not fair. He should be suffering. There should be penance. There should be lines. He should stand out in the corridor. He should have be in the naughty corner. You know, and God was just giving him revelation and all of that just in, a, in one night. It's just not, it's wrong. God is not that kind. <laughs> Except that he is that kind. He is that kind. And, and, and then he said, I have this dream, and here am I standing in front of a whole bunch of young people, and I'm preaching. He used this language. He said, I was compelling them to come into the kingdom. And then right at the back of the crowd, there was this kid standing off with his arms you know, kind of folded way off from the crowd and just with this kind of sneery look on his face. And, and, and I said, who was that? And he said, well, that was the funny thing because he said, I'm preaching and this kid's at the back. I can't see who he is. But he, I, I thought, come on, you know, like this is important. Uh, and, and it's like this compelling. And he said, I lifted out of my body in the dream and, I, and it was like I flew across the crowd right up into this kid's face. And you know who it was? I said, who, who was it? He said, it was me. And I, at this stage, now we're both crying, crying, you know, like that. And I'm telling you that story because he went to Bible college after that. He, you know, got married. He's got a beautiful little girl. He's on our music team. And he's just, he's not a preacher. But when he speaks, people listen. Because he's got great wisdom. He's, he's really funny. He's deaf in one ear. He's always been deaf in one ear, completely deaf. But he can hear God so accurately. And I tell that story tonight, and I don't often tell it, but I want to tell you tonight because I really felt it was important because you are going to have people or have people in your lives that you think that God can't reach, and he can reach them like that. And it will be in his time and his way, and in the midst of all of that, he will reform you and I, and we will be different people because of it. And those are amazing testimonies to have. Amen? So those are those uh, kind of things, and, and, and that's good. So I just wanted to share that with you, and, um, and I hope that helps someone. And, uh, and, um, but it certainly helped us. And, and I've said to him from time to time, I'm going to share that story. And he goes, yep, that's okay. And, uh, and so with his permission, I've done that. So uh, there we go. That's cool. Hey, God's awesome. You know, uh, Winky Prattney says, I've mentioned him a couple of times, but, um, and it's the God is kind thing, you know. Um, he, he said, if I could sum up my ministry and everything that I've learned and read and written, and he's a prolific author and um, a blogger and, and, you know, just 
a crazy person if you don't know him google him uh, he's been around forever he's the oldest youth worker in the world and um the oldest teenager that's for, for sure and um and i think he's in his 70s now uh, and he's just still going strong championing young people speaking at ywam bases all around the world loving revival all of those kind of things and he said he's died and um and come back again so he had a terrible organ failure in korea they thought he was going they were going to lose him and and in the midst of that god turned it around it was an absolute miracle and uh he uh he said this to me and he said i've i've learned two things if i can sum up my entire ministry there are two things that i've learned and they distilled everything I've written everything I've preached everything I'm down he said these are the two things and I'm like I'm going to write these down these might be worth something you know like and he said uh, he said number one is there is a God and it's not you oh, oh I probably could remember that uh, he said there is a God and it's not you oh that, that's so simple I said what's the next one he said make it hard on God and make it easy on you that, that's it that's the gospel of Winky Prattney and I, he goes yep that's it there is a God and it's not you you know that is so liberating particularly when we're trying to do stuff and and get people to do stuff you know there is a God it's not us and then if we're really crying out to him sometimes we tend to bargain because that's the kind of people that we're at God if I do this you know I remember I first met Dale and I just fell in last love with her as I said the other night and I had this photograph of her and oh God I'll serve you for the rest of my days if you you know if you give me this girl and like she's amazing and get her to keep the miniskirt because I actually love that as well and all that you know kind of it was those were the days you know like way back in the in the day all those and you make all these brash promises and then you find yourself married and God then calls them in you know, like, you're going to serve me. And I go, oh, no, I've got the girl. <laughs> yeah, so we, we, we tend to do that. And so he said, come on, make it hard on God. Make it easy on you. you. You don't have to do all that stress stuff. You don't have to bargain and negotiate with the negotiator of the universe. Because you will lose. <laughs> and he will outlast you <laughs> in all of those kind of things. And so in sharing all of that, there we go. So that's a bit of a hodgepodge to start with. Real quick, um, what time do we finish? Just so, just before the rugby, is it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I did want to mention some things about oil. So can I do that? And, um, and, and then we'll, we'll, we'll go on and, um, and, uh, and we'll go night. Thank you once again just for having me. So uh, it's been a great privilege actually to come and, and be part of this environment, which is, which is stunning. 1 John 2.27 says, But the anointing which you receive from him abides in you, and that you don't need that anyone would teach you, but that same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true, and is not a lie. And just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. So he abides in us and we abide in him. You know, John 14 talks about that in the whole area of the vine. Come on, abide in him and, and draw from him and all of that. And as we begin to do that, he becomes the hope of glory in our lives. You know, Colossians says that, you know, he is the hope of glory and, uh, uh, in our hearts. And so uh, the only hope of God getting glory out of us is God in us. And so we carry this revival. We carry this, 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 um, this. We are the containers. We are what um, uh, we carry this, uh, 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 this glory in a, um, in a, in a jar, in an earthen vessel. That's what Paul writes about, and he alludes that to, to Gideon. And he goes back in, you know, in Jewish history, of which he was an absolute student, scholar, and master. And uh, he draws on that simile. They knew what he was talking about. And he says, we carry this treasure within an earthen vessel. Remember when Gideon won the battle? And he said, you know, you've got to shout 
And the other thing, you've got to put that flame inside the pitcher or inside the earthen vessel. And when you break it, the flame will come and will be shown at the right time. And so he uses that because he said the word that Paul uses in, in Corinthians, he said he puts this treasure in an earthen vessel. The word is crackpot. It's interesting, hey? And so it's this fragile container. So if you take that out, it's just literally a pot with cracks in it. And so who's sitting next to one of those tonight? You know, who's sitting next to a crack pot? Um, because they have this incredible treasure uh, within us. And it, all it takes sometimes is some of those things that happen to Simon and, and others. And we have this amazing fire and flame that begins to come out of us because he is forming us. He is the potter and we are the clay. And so there's this incredible anointing in us. Not only is it in us, it's also on us. Exodus, I was going to say executive. Exodus, it says that you shall take the anointing oil, pour it on him, and he will be anointed or anoint him. The second Corinthians says the promises of God in him are yes and amen to the glory of God. And he establishes us in Christ who has anointed us in God. So those things are there. We have an anointing from the Holy One. It's like, it's, it was like John Hurston saying, Ian, there is an open heaven over your life. You just have to step into it. You just have to you be that, uh, have that understanding that 2,000 years ago, the heavens were open and they've not closed. When you gave your life to Jesus, you had open access through the veil again. There is opening for you. You can come and go anytime you like. You're not a slave. You're not a servant. You are a son. When the prodigal came home, remember the prodigal? You know, he was away and all that. And the father waited for him. He waited for him to get to the end of himself. And sometimes we would do really good to remember that because God will always allow us to run out of resources ourselves. But he will wait for us while we do that. You know, the idols and the comforts and all of those things we talked of this morning. And he will wait until we realize that there is only one place we can go. And like salmon heading for home, like a pigeon circling for home, we begin to head up the stream. We begin to hook into whatever God, that, 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 that track that God has put into our life. And we end up coming home. And when he sees us, he runs toward us. And you've got to understand the picture of a Middle Eastern father is they sat at the gates of the city and they did not move move the city came to them but this father ran to his son and so that's the kind of that's the kindness of God that's why I couldn't get my head around what Simon was telling me because in my world you know God was not that kind and and and, and religion will dictate that to you all the time but he is a God that runs to prodigals he's a God that begins to to draw the very best out of us and when he gets us he puts rings on our fingers that speak of ownership he puts a cloak on our shoulders that that just speaks of incredible covering and he puts shoes on our feet that indicates that we are sons and daughters not slaves because in that culture Slaves didn't wear shoes. And so we need to understand that when God clothes us, he utterly clothes us. And we are included, not excluded. And, and we are anointed for that particular time. I love that. I just love the fact of the kind. It's the, see, Romans says the kindness of God leads to repentance. 
You know, it's the kindness of God. And, uh, you know, and as, we, as we understand that and as we track with people and talk about the kindness of God, I tell you, it's an amazing thing in, in all of that. Um, there, there's a whole scripture that I won't go into. I'll highlight it real quick for sake of time. But in 2 Kings 9, there's 13 verses. And uh, it talks about the prophet Elijah. And uh, he goes and he's going to anoint. Um, he, the Lord says, get yourself ready. Take a flask of oil in your hand. Go down to Ramoth Gilead. And you will arrive at that place and look, there is Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat there. And take him into an inner room and anoint him with oil. Do you know that flask was a liter of oil? Now, I don't know if you've got a liter of, say, oil in your home or in your pantry somewhere, but it is a lot of oil. Oil goes a long way. And so he, the equivalent of anointing is they, they would pour out a liter of this oil over the person. So here's the instruction. Take him to an inner room, take the flask of oil and pour it on his head and says, Thus saith the Lord, I have anointed you king over Israel. Then open the door and flee and do not delay. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd probably, if you poured a liter of oil over me, you'd need to flee because I'd be really annoyed. But, um, you know, so I cut sticky. You know, it's like all of that kind of stuff. I always think of John the Baptist, you know, imagine being out in the wilderness eating locusts and wild honey. Can you imagine that guy? He had a beard and you got honey on your beard, you know, and you're talking to him and you've got, I, I honestly, I think, is that a leg? Oh, my Lord, I think that's a leg. Look at that. He's got leftovers on his beard. You know, like you got honey, everything's sticking. It's just like, you know, and, and no wonder people came out to see him in the wilderness because he was crazy. It was like going, let's go and see the guy with the leg sticking on the honey beard. You know, like, whoa, that's just dodgy right there. And so here's this guy now. He's got oil over him. So the young man, the servant of the prophet, went to Ramoth Gideon, and he arrived. And there were captains of the army sitting playing cards. Well, not playing cards. They were just sitting. And they were... they. Uh, I just kind of step into it a little bit. And have, they have got a message for you, commander. And Jehu says, for which one of us? And he said, for you, commander. And so he arose and he went into the house and he, this is the inner room away from these guys. And he pours a liter of oil over him. <laughs> he pours the oil on his head and says, Thus there the Lord, the God of Israel, he's appointed you king over the people of the Lord. You shall strike down the house of Ahab and uh, you, you'll, you'll avenge the blood of the servants of the prophets and the blood of the servants. So he's just giving us a great commission with, with, while he's pouring a liter of oil over his head. He's really anointing this guy, you know. And so he's, in a, he's away from the card game now. He's in another wee special room and, and doing all this kind of thing. I love this bit. It's really good. And then Jehu came out to all of the servants, to the other soldiers who were there. And he came out and they said to them, is all well? Why did, this is very Shakespearean. It's kind of like understated to the max. This is, is all well? Why did this madman come to you? And, and, uh, and he says to them, oh, you know this guy and all his talk, all his babble. And, and, and they go, that's a lie. In verse 12, he says, that's a lie. Tell us now. Whoops, that's my timer. I'm done. And that's a time. Bing, dong, bing, bing. He says, that's a lie. Tell us now. And, and, and he says, oh, well, thus and thus, the Lord said, you know, I've appointed you king over Israel. You know, he's got a liter of oil dripping off him. <laughs> and they're going, you're lying. What, what, what did he say? Because that's a significant. They knew the significance of that. He said, oh, I've just been made king over Israel. I'm going to, uh, you know, I'm going to deal to some people. And, 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 and they Every man hastened, taking his garment, putting it under him on top of the steps, blew trumpets, and says, Jehu is king. The baptism of the Holy Spirit it was so profound for me 
And hopefully profound for you, it was like a litre of oil being poured over me because we were anointed for the task that Jesus brought us to. He would, he, what he does is he does not send us out unanointed. He sends us out under an open heaven. He sends us out with fuel. He sends us out with fire. He sends us out with this incredible anointing. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, all right, this was, this was the celebra- celebration really of a marriage feast. And, and, and so here this, this mighty wind came, the sound came, the sound of a rushing wind. And then the whole house where they're sitting, they appeared divided tongues of a fire, sat on each one of them. Fire came, the lightning began to go up from the ground. Did anybody Google that this afternoon? I did, it was awesome. It was just like seeing all that lightning sort of coming up from the ground, then cracking with heaven, you know. As, as we draw near to God, he draws near to us, all of those things. That great fulfillment of the anointing and the oil. I'm gonna finish with this real, real quick, but I just wanted to underscore this because I really felt that, that, that these are some things that, 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 that happen with oil. Oil burns, all right? And we spoke of that this morning. It's not necessarily, you know, uh, uh, the lamp with the wick is drenched on, then the oil burns rather than the wick. And I encourage you, you know, just wait on the Lord. And you uh, look, I'm teaching you to suck eggs here because I know that you're a community of faith. I know that you're a church. I've watched you here in worship. You know, I watched the kids tonight. I filmed it tonight because it just did my heart good as they worship for the Lord. And then there's that waiting on the Lord. God is the oil supplier. You know, he, he is the one. He gives power to the weak. Uh, to those who have no might, he increases strength. Those who wait on the Lord, they shall renew their strength. And that word wait is a word quavar, which means to twist or to bind together. When we wait on the Lord, it's like having, it's like us being uh, an ivy that grows up a wall. And you know, when your ivy gets into a wall, it begins to take the moisture from that wall. It begins to embed itself in the wall so that eventually after years, if you take the ivy, you will pull not only the ivy off, but you'll probably pull half the wall off as well because it's so entwined. That's the word. Those who bind themselves to the Lord. And there is an exchange. We begin to exchange strength. We begin to collect. That's the other word for that, kovar, to wait or to collect, to expect something. And the more time that we have with God, the more time in his presence, it's like that oil begins to soak into us. That oil begins to be our fuel. It begins to be our life and all of those things. And a couple of just thoughts before we quickly close. Oil lubricates us. You, you alluded to this this morning. Is that, you know, that, that was beautiful, actually, that, that, that good oil lubricates things that are stuck or stall or, or, or squeak. Um, you know, oil fixes squeaky Christians, I tell you. You know, we just need a little bit of oil sometimes. Oh, I don't like this. Get some more oil on you. You know, like, just, just do that. Just get that viscosity of oil going, you know, so that you can just really begin to glide uh, rather than to graunch. And um, that would be good. Oil moisturizers, and you know, they used to rub it into the into the shields and um, rub it into into wineskins. And interestingly enough, that's one of the ways they re, they renewed old wineskins was to actually massage oil into them so that they become supple again. And, and so you know, boy, there's a great picture there for us. If we're going to carry new wine, then we need to have that oil uh, on us as well. The shield of faith often wasn't just a big steel shield; it was actually wood and leather dipped in oil. And so there was just that, that suppleness of all of that as well. There's a whole bunch of stuff. Oil, I'm a, I'm a bit of a cook. I, I, I love cooking and, um, and I probably do about 80% of the cooking at home. I love oils, you know, because there's so many of them you can get these days. And, uh, you know, oil amplifies flavor. Uh, and, and, you know, when we get the oil of 
God's presence, even get a liter of that stuff all over you. Wouldn't that be cool? And uh, you, But it just begins to amplify the flavor. And I find that when I begin to speak in tongues, when I begin to worship, when I begin to walk with God, when I begin to walk in the Spirit, then the, that oil begins to settle in me, that anointing that has always been there in the call of God, because I was 11 when God called me into the ministry. And he spoke the word to me very, very clearly as, a, as, a, as an 11-year-old. I was reading a little Bible, Romans 1.16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. And I was living in a powerless church. But God says to me, there is power in the gospel. Um, I remember a lady called Molly Deverell, and uh, she's dead. There's no relations anymore. But as a little boy, I can remember watching as communion would go down the down the row and because uh, we'd have communion at every service that we had. That was our tradition. And so uh, when it got to Molly Deverell, she'd take the bread and uh, she'd eat that. But I'd always wait, wait for it wait for it, wait for it. As soon as the wine touched her lips, she would, her eyes would roll back in her head and she would fall to the ground and she would foam at the mouth and she'd have a full-blown grand mal seizure. Now, I know from working in a hospital that there's very organic you know, reasons why she could have that, but I knew as a little boy this was spiritual and because every time the the the, the 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 if you like the the the, the touch point was always the wine that represented the blood of Jesus and they would take her out and they'd look after her and they'd put a stick in her mouth and so she wouldn't chew her tongue off and all of those things but every time we had communion it would happen and I felt like saying you know and I did say I remember to my dad it's not you know someone needs to help her because it's the wine that's doing it it's the wine that's doing it. It's the wine that's doing it. And I didn't understand that I was way before my time in some respects because I was seeing something in the spirit and they never listened to a little boy. But, um, you know, it's sad. I don't know whether ever she got any help. But, you know, that's the kind of way God wants us to be filled and overflowing with that new wine. Amen. I want you to stand to your feet just for a moment and just um, just put, put aside everything that you've got there right now and... Um, Oh, can I call for a musician just for a couple of minutes? And uh, just a keyboardist is fine. That would be so good. And, um, and uh, yeah, just thanks, love. And um, that would be so good. What I want you to do is just, you know, this is an anointing here right now. This is an anointing, all right? And uh, what I want you to do is just lift your hands. And um, along with me tonight, just understand that there is an open heaven. And you understand it in your heads. I understand that. But tonight as you, as we prepare to go to families and watch the rugby and do all the normal things of life and that, but there is an anointing here. There's leaders that are here today. You, you, you're probably here because you are a leader in some respects. Because what you've done is you've sowed into your life. You've backed yourself. You've put yourself in an environment. Here we are. We're having a conference. You're established in love. And I tell you what, right now, there's that anointing for your leadership. And then quietly, I just want you to just start speaking in other tongues. If you already speak in the language that you recognize, then ask the Lord for a new language. And uh, He'll change it for you. And uh, you just have to start speaking it. 
and uh, just um, different than what you've had before. And God's going to start exploring that with you. He's going to start constructing with you in a remarkable way. All the prophetic people right now that are here, and some of you know, just uh, there's a, something that God's just tapping into your life right now. He's just releasing that. I see that, 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 that wells have been blocked up for you. And right now in the name of Jesus, right over this community of faith, Father, I, I just break every lie that has said that you cannot prophesy or that you've been stopped in some way. I break those things off you now in the name of Jesus Christ. And those that which the enemy has stolen off you, that's which words have been spoken over you. Even that which you have agreed with and spoken over you for yourself, that it's over and I'll probably never do that again. That I break the power of that right now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. That there's a song in the spirit. There's a song in the hearts of people. There's a dance. Debbie, there's a dance in you. There really is. I saw that. I told her that today. This wonderful girl who's like a Joan of Arc who would lead people, who would lift up the sword of the Lord and they would have followers of both men and women. And, and, and that's just absolutely correct. But there's in this young lady a dance. There's a dance. I call it out in Jesus' name. I call out the dance because in, in the old days, we used to call him the Lord of the dance actually. And uh, it was okay, but there is a dance in you. 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 My Lord, there is a dance in you. Woo! Just watch her, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. And I release that. I release that. And whatever form that takes, we talked about that before, but I release that in Jesus' name. Wow. Come on, one last time. In the name of Jesus, Lord, we worship you. Lord, we worship you. Lord, we worship you. You are our anointing oil. You are anointing oil. I'm staying out at Jared and Rose, and, and it was funny. Before I came out and the guys were downstairs, I, I just simply sung this in the room. It's kind of old, but I'm in the room and I just went, Give me oil in my lamp, keep me burning. <laughs> Because I knew that tonight we were going to speak about this. Give me oil in my lamp, I pray. Give me oil in my lamp. Keep me burning. Keep me burning to the break of day. Lord, give us oil. Anoint me with fresh oil. Come on, make that your prayer right now. Anoint me with fresh oil. Moria Breshno Biosaya Sumaya. Anoint me with fresh oil. Anoint me with fresh oil. Lord, stop the squeaks. Lord Jesus, help me in my graunches. Lord, I lift my hands and my face to you. Some people tonight, God's giving you shoes again. 
And they've always been yours. They've always been yours. But you felt like you've been walking barefoot for a long, long time. And God says, I've got shoe wear for you. How blessed are the feet of those who bring the good news. And they're great when they have the battle boots of the gospel on, (laughs) the full armour of God. Shoes of the gospel of peace. We are the bearers of good news. We are the ambassadors of the kingdom. And there's a sense of apostolic purpose over this church. And if you understand what that means at all, in very simple few second description, you are culture changers. It's exactly what, a, what an apostle means. There are people who change culture. You take the culture of one kingdom and you bring it to another kingdom. You bring heaven to earth. And tonight, Lord, we accept your anointing. The call of God, the call of God. I want you to just finally just put your hand on your chest. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the call of God, for your call in my life. I receive it. Now put your hands on your on your tummy because out of your innermost being will now flow rivers of living water, life-giving waters. Where you go, there is life. When you open your mouth, because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And when you begin to speak, there is life, incredible life. Josh, I understand that you wrote that song that we sung tonight. Wonderful. And what it did was it inspired me to go home and write a song. Wow. And I call out the poet in you, the songwriter. There are many, many things that you can do. You are so good at doing them. But whilst there's a dance in Debbie, there's a song in you. And it really needs to be heard. God's written the script of your heart. And all those songs have been written. They're waiting for you to draw down. Lord Jesus. And every creative person in the room, the Lord just wants to release you in that fresh creativity. Amen. Wow. Who got a new tongue? Anybody get a new tongue? Yeah, it's quite good. Just choose a letter of the alphabet. Yeah, it might be M, you know. Moon boom beyond boom by some ma 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 so I don't know, just you know, what's what's another letter, you know? L Z Zitro Soso Vato Sai Zulafrunda Via Sara Zokrosta Sandai Kasindai Vishosa. Because people often go bup 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 bup, which is like an outboard motor. Um 
and um, and it's cool, but you've got to go past that because we're growing up, and God will give you language. The word tongues is actually a, a slight mistranslation, but we understand it, so we use it. But it's the word language. And, and so, so for example, I was being prayed for in Singapore just, just about a year ago, and there was a Chinese guy there who was like, lovely, but honestly, his English was appalling. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like the atypical, you know, uh, Asian kind of bad English, you know, all the kind of thing. And, that, and I couldn't understand him. I kept on saying, what, what did he say again? You know? And then he indicated that he wanted to pray for me and, and, and then prophesy over me. And I thought, oh, my goodness. So, um, and, and so anyway, he did that. And, um, and I was reasonably, you know, kind of like, okay. And, uh, and he prayed for me in perfect English. Like, it was just beautiful. He just like, you know, he just, I'm going, why don't, and I said to him afterwards, you know, buddy, you need to pray while you talk because then I can understand you. I literally did that. And he responded to me in this broken Asian English again. And I said to someone, like, you know, honestly, why don't you get him to just pray? I don't get understand that. And they said, what are you talking about? And I said, well, you know, when he prayed for me and prophesied over me, you know, I could understand everything he said. He said, I don't know. He just said it in Chinese. I said, no. No, he didn't. No, because he was, it was perfect English. And they said it was perfect Chinese. <laughs> and, I, and, and then I, I felt ashamed, to be honest. Ashamed that, A, I never recorded it, you know, and the whole thing. That he just prophesied into my life. And then, so God can do all that kind of stuff. He's amazing. He's amazing. Amen. So pick a letter tonight before you go to bed and go nuts where no one else can hear you. Amen. God bless you guys. You are amazing. You are awesome.